Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Sustainable 196. Welcome yourself, old to Sustainable 196. How are you? Very, very well. How are you? I'm all right, thank you, old chum. I, I'm looking forward to the end of this silly old year. But yeah, I'm all right. Now, now, have we got a treat for you this week, Ollie, in your friendly little weekly environment podcast? We have got a treat for you. Not for you. You have got a treat for they. What is your treat for they? What is our treat for they, Ol? Who are they? Uh, who are you? <laughs> who, who are we? Who are they? Who are you? Uh, our treat... Our treat is a chat with the frankly wonderful Juliet Davenport, who is boss of an energy company and not a bad energy company before you get all finger waggy. It's a good energy company, so good they called it Good Energy, which is a good name, I think, for an energy company. And it's good because it is all about green stuff. It's only green stuff. It's proper, actual, doing solar and wind and all that jazz and turning it into the stuff that comes out of your plugs. So we wanted to talk to Juliet about well, all sorts of things, including how she got into all of this um, and like where the Inhofs are and how we should spot them when the energy companies that aren't good energy are being Inhoffy. Juliet is fab. Juliet has got an OBE. Oh, adding to the uh, adding to the Babbles roster of people what have met the Queen. She's got an OBE um, and she got an OBE for setting up good energy. Age 31, 31 years old, she set up an energy company. That is ridiculous. It is oh, a bit ridiculous, um, isn't it? It's ridiculous. The only thing you were setting up when you were 31 was baby all. Is this podcast um, actually? <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, so we really, really love this chat. It's really good fun. It's so much fun to talk to someone who knows so much, but it's just done it. I mean, all and I were just saying before we started recording, like when you've done all the stuff, when you've set up an energy company age 31, when you've got like studied atmospheric physics, Oxford, and and you've just like you've gone to see every government minister in the world and told them to stop being in hoffs. When you've done all that, you can just have a good old laugh with Dave and Ol. It's great. Yeah, I really enjoyed this chat for all of those reasons. Um, and it does, I mean, we've talked about this occasionally, you know, late at night when we're feeling a bit maudlin and we've had a whiskey. We'll text each other going, should we have a, should we do something real? Like, you know, being a teacher or like, I don't know, making something. And Julia is an example of someone who does something real. Uh, she makes electricity for like, tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands I don't know how many thousands lots of people um, and that's electricity they need for their lives and that's real isn't it and I just I get very impressed when I meet people who do real things I know if you listen to this podcast and you're a real person drop us a note and tell us what it's like (laughs) anyway uh, just the usual disclaimer we do work for environmental charities which is real work before we get sacked Uh, but these are very very proud of my job and my work and I just you know think i want to bring a little bit more realness into it sometimes that's all these are very much our own views so if anything that you hear sparks off all a reaction in you then take it up with me or roll or juliet uh, but not with anyone for whom we work although i suppose frankly you couldn't really take it to juliet's boss anyway that would be quite a challenge shall we get on with it yes get on with it So, Juliet, 2020, what a blast. Um, what, a, what a year it's been. How, how's your lockdown been? Um, 
have you coped? Uh, it's been a lockdown of two parts, I think, actually. Um, the beginning of it, it was sunny, it was beautiful. And so being at home wasn't that bad. It's a bit harder now. Um, I think I've spent a lot of time uh, doing all those jobs that I always meant to do and was never at home enough to do. So I currently have in my office all the photographs of my life on the yeah. floor and I'm trying to sort them out. Oh. So I think, I think for me, lockdown has been about sorting stuff out, really, sorting shit out. That's good. One of the things you've been sorting out is the planet, which is kind of you. Um, if you could sort it out, sort it out a bit harder, please. That'd be that'd be good. Um, so, what what tips have you? So, I, I don't know why I'm interested. I think just because you just seem you turned up for this interview on time, which is more than Al did. So you're clearly a organised person. What what tips have you developed for sort of coping with lockdown on the day to day kind of basis? I think one of the things. I'm not sure the tips so much, but I think. Uh, is to is to have fun conversations with people. Remember your friends. Um, actually, just coming about, I spoke to um, two friends of mine the other day who I haven't spoken to for twenty five years, wow. um, and our life has gone apart. But but actually, we got on we got on Zoom and we had such a laugh. And so I think sometimes you forget life has taken over um, pre COVID and it gets faster and faster. And actually. In some way, this has given a bit of time to step back and contemplate and, and, and think about what we're doing to save the planet and can we do it better? And as you said, can we do it faster? Um, so, yeah, just just taking a bit of time out and it's, it's, it's dark, it's miserable. Let's just, let's just, you've got to be positive. I can't, I can't think of any other way of thinking about it. You've got to keep thinking of the positive, the good things that can come out of this, what we can do next. Can I ask just one question? Of course. Would anyone like any toast? <laughs> well, I mean, what's the alternative as well? That's the other, that's the other thing, isn't it? It's like, oh God, I, there's enough things to be miserable about. I don't think I want to be miserable about this as well. It seems it seems like a good strategy. Talking of things which are not miserable, things that are indeed good. Yes. Your company, Good Energy, is good. Is not miserable. Um, is very miserable ex- energy. Miserable energy. I don't think. I'm not sure. There's a marketing marketing team in the land. I quite that like would, that. Though. That would be able to turn that one round. Should we start? Should we start up a company called Miserable Energy? We should definitely start up a spoof <laughs> one, shouldn't we? We should. We should. We should turn up at party conferences pretending to be lobbyists for Miserable Energy. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll we'll work on that. But in the meantime, you are running Good Energy, which is very exciting. It's yeah. very cool. Um, but. Look, there's, we, we are a simple pair of um, idiots and there is a thing we're going to have to ask. Yeah. Good energy sells green electricity. Yeah. So the actual electricity I get when I plug in my microphone for my, my babble interviews. Yeah. That's the same though, isn't it? That's like the same electricity as if I'm signed up with miserable energy. That's it. Yeah, so, I like, like that miserable energy versus good. So, um, so, so the absolute answer is that what we do is we put in electricity from good, great renewable generators uh, to match out what you use, so what you pull out the other end. I mean, if you really want to get into the physics of electricity, oh, electricity oh, doesn't oh, flow anywhere. anyway. <laughs> well, hang on, I'm going to put the big, put the big Dave music on. <laughs> 
it basically it basically is a bunch of electromagnetic it's, a, it's a basically a bunch of electrons that vibrate they kind of dance around they don't actually move anywhere and they pass energy from one place to another so trying to track electrons has always been a bit of a misnomer what's really important is that for every every piece of power that you buy we go and source it from a renewable generator and what that means and why is that that is different from some of the some of the things that kind of miserable energy does is that um for that that generator may generate power at a different time than you need it so i then need to think about how do how do i deal with that how do i deal with the fact that they might be generating more power now and less power later. They might be, so, so I need to find other generators that generate differently from those. So actually wind and solar work really well. When it's windy, it doesn't tend to be as sunny. And when it's sunny, it doesn't tend to be as windy. So you kind of, so my job is to go and kind of match all these renewable generators to generate power when you need it. And that's, and that is what's really different about us is that we've always gone out. And when we, when we set up 20 years ago, we said we want to be 100% renewable because we want to know what it really feels like to be 100% renewable. And then do you go and say you, I, I joined up to Good Energy and you're like, oh, shit. Sorry, Dave, there aren't any more renewables. Um, do you go and get some more when that happens? Do you go, yeah. do you go up yeah. to someone with a field and go, give me that. I'm putting a wind turbine up it. Well, well, I, I kind of make quite a lot of assumptions about how many more people like you, Dave, are going to come and join us. And, um, and we spend our life working with new renewable generators, working out where our power is going to come from for the next two to three years, and then working with governments to think about what structure they're putting in place and make sure there's power for the next five to ten years. So it's, it's, it's an ongoing process all the time. That's, that's what we do, tirelessly kind of going out there and making sure there's more. And so what what is ha- actually going on when when miserable energy say sign up to our green tariff but but most yeah. of their energy is miserable what like what cuz cuz I, I thinking about it as a you know as a customer as somebody who's going on like moneysavingexpert.com or whatever and thinking I want some cheap energy I want some green energy miserable energy says they've got a green tariff that's fine I'll have that am I am I doing a good thing for the planet then or is it just because of kind of smokes and mirrors? And disclaimer, I'm almost certain it's smokes and mirrors. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think what you're doing is that they, they can go and buy some certificates in the marketplace. So there are these certificates out there called Regos, they're called, but that doesn't really matter. They're certificates, they can go and buy them for somewhere between 50p and a pound. Um, and then they can add that to their miserable energy and then call, call it green. And it, this is one of the things we've been trying to call out with government is that actually this needs policing by the regulator because it is really complicated and you can't expect anybody to pick up an energy bill and understand the difference between miserable energy and good energy. And I think that's that's the real point is it's 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 hard as a consumer. I mean, how much time do you have to look at an advert? How much time do you really have to kind of go and do um, a forensic investigation into an energy company? Probably not a lot. And, and so normally what most consumers expect is that the regulator or the government will protect them from these claims. And at the moment, that's not happening. Um, and that, that is the biggest issue. And that's, that's what we're calling for at the moment. It's not, it's not that... 
um, people can't make some claims about this. But the point is that those guys aren't trying to make new generation. This, the, the, the climate crisis is not going to be solved by what we're doing today. The climate crisis is going to be solved by what we do over the next 10 years. And so if you go and buy from miserable energy, yeah, you're not doing a bad thing, but you're not doing anything more to save the planet. Do you get, you must get proper knocked off by all this. Like, if I was in the business of, uh, I don't know, saving kittens, right? And I built, I built loads of kitten sanctuaries and I made sure whenever, I made sure there was always enough space for the kitten I hadn't found yet, just in case another kitten comes in. And I devote my entire business to saving kittens. And then, like, another company, let's call them Kitten Squasher PLC, uh, says, it's all right. If you shot, if you use our special kitten saving tariff, we'll save some kittens. And you must think, you. Total bastards, get off my turf. Like, you must just get so personally annoyed by all of that. This entire podcast annoys us, and we don't make any particular money out of it. It is really annoying. And I think that's why we've been really trying to up the ante with government and say, listen, the only way this is going to get fixed is by you coming out and fixing it because consumers can't do it on their own. You can't rely on consumers going to complain to the ASA, for example, because they just haven't got the detail or the information or quite often the inclination. And it's not it's not just those people selling gas and electricity, is it? It's like... You know, this this podcast is about Babel and we talk a lot about some of those big evil uh well I suppose are they yeah, they're evil. Yep, they're evil. Yeah, I was just checking with my internal moral compass. Yes, no, they're definitely evil. But some I of the no massive idea you had one. <laughs> yeah, I got one for Christmas. Early early Christmas present. Someone gave me a moral compass. You know, Scott I've been a frickin' evil doctor for thirty frickin' years. Okay. Cut me some Frickin' slack. Um, what was I saying? Yes, yeah, so, so people like Shell and everyone else, they will, you know, yeah. they will put out their advertising campaigns saying, look yeah. at our lovely yeah. little bit of wind yeah. energy. Yeah. And obviously that gives the impression to people watching that that is what they do now. And yes. anyone who looks into it finds that it's 1% or half of 1% of what they do now. That, does that annoy yeah. you? Like, does that... Well, how does yeah. that make you feel? Really annoy me. That really annoys me. So that I mean, it doesn't matter which technology. I've seen advertising from EDF when they put a bunch of solar panels and then they've got a very small nuclear power station in the background. It's like, no, no, no. All their power comes from nuclear and they, they have, might have a little bit of solar on the side. So be honest about it. I mean, at least... And it's the same with the, the oil companies. How much advertising do you see that has wind turbines and solar panels in it? How many oil rigs have they got in their advertising? They just don't. Our new energy's business is driving transition to a lower carbon future. Powering progress together by providing more and cleaner energy solutions. Let's make the future. And they know that, 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 that there are various things they're having to win. They're having to win government. They're having to win popular sentiment because they know they're going to have to do something somehow. And they're probably going to have to get government to support them. And they're also trying to convince their investors and the new set of investors who are kind of saying, we're not going to, we don't want to invest in fossils in the future. Um, and the pension funds are having a lot of pressure from people to actually change the way they invest. So these companies have got to rebrand themselves. And yeah, it's bloody annoying because suddenly out of nowhere, you look on all the advertising, and they're a green company. But the honest answer is, what is it? I think, I think the data shows that nearly 90% of um, the, the capital expenditure by Shell is still in fossil fuel. 
So that is not <laughs> zero carbon. I'm really sorry. Oh. I mean, it's it's damn complicated energy, isn't it? I, 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 yeah. I did I did a little bit of work in my proper job a few years ago. I did a little bit of work on energy. And no, you had I one of those either. I'm learning all sorts of stuff. What, that I had a proper job? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, well, I mean, it's not that proper, is it? You know, NGO. That's, how proper is that? I wasn't build, building oh, anything. Um, but, but when I was engaging with energy, I have to say, like, I wanted there to be really simple answers to this stuff. I wanted someone to go, look, it's just it's just onshore wind. That's all we need. Or like, it's just energy efficiency. That's all we need. Or it's just... And, and you can sort of see why politicians kind of put these dangle these things out there like hydrogen and go here you go hydrogen whizzy bangy thing burn it you just get water all done but it must be it must be hard working in a sector where the answer is always it depends or it's complicated (laughs) or sometimes it's this and sometimes it's that like it must be a nightmare to kind of communicate this stuff Yeah, I mean, I think I think it is. It, you're right. It is. I mean, it, it, in the same time, it's also fascinating. I mean, I, when I first first started working in the sector, I mean, the, the first thing I learned, I didn't. I did a, an internship in the European Commission and worked on energy policy, and it was brilliant because you got all these extraordinary characters. And I mean. Uh, it probably wouldn't be very funny as a sitcom for anybody else, but I'd make, it'd make me laugh. Uh, if you could characterise all the different characters around the table representing their fuel, essentially, because that's what they were. So you had each country with its, with its fuel choice. So you had the Norwegians, they were all these big barrel-like people who basically took barrels of oil and gas out of the sea. You then had the Australians who burnt all the coal. I mean, you had the Russians with their gas. I mean, and, and so it was fascinating because they completely took on these personas. They completely... Um, and, and, and the conversation about the energy in their, in their sectors completely were dominated by how energy had grown up in the kind of 80s, 70s and 80s. Um, and so... Not only is it complicated in terms of what what are the answers for the future and how do you put the answers together, but it's also super complicated because of where we've come from and what was there originally and what you've already got to get rid of. Because if we had a clean slate, life would be really simple. You would probably put solar, you put some wind in, you put some offshore wind in. You definitely put loads of research into marine, some tidal and wave. Um, you'd then figure out batteries. You'd look at electric vehicles. Um, you'd never put a gas pipeline anywhere near a house again. And you'd put electric heating, super insulation in. So y- if you could do it from scratch, it'd be really easy. The trouble is we're doing it with a high carbon system that we're trying to make low carbon. And that's much harder. So you... you- so- I think you'll find you asked the last question. <laughs> yes, but this was a follow-up. <laughs> so technically, it's the same. Right, where this was I? This be good. Um, so you, you find yourself in an internship in European Commission talking to Mr. Barrel from Norway. Um, but what, what happened before that? How did you kind of come to decide... This was the question that you you wanted. Well, you know, was there a big, was there a moment? Uh, Was there there an awakening? I I actually grew up, um, my father was a rallying co-driver. I grew up in a very high carbon world um, and was not an environmentalist at all as a child or even a teenager. Um, And it wasn't until I got to university and I was studying physics 
And um, I, I actually found physics slightly hard. Uh, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> struggled with it. <laughs> um, but I, in my third year, I got to study atmospheric physics. And uh, part of atmospheric physics is weather and climate, obviously. And um, at the same time, when I was there, uh, Michael Fish made his... Uh, infamous prediction that we were not going to be hit by the storm um i'm not sure did he ever have a career after that i think he might have left after oh, i don't that. think he got booked he didn't get booked quite as much did he i don't think no not really <laughs> good afternoon to you earlier on today apparently a woman rang the bbc and said she heard that there was a hurricane on the way well if you're watching don't worry there isn't but having said that actually the weather will become very windy but most of the strong winds incidentally will be down he had some bay. great jumpers didn't he yeah. that was that was his theme as a weatherman he had great jumpers anyway his prediction was that no madam there isn't a hurricane sitting the south of england which obviously there wasn't a hurricane but it was a massive storm um and then uh, i was kind of studying it at the same time and understanding why do you, do you know why you got it so wrong did you ever hear the story of why you got it so wrong so the reason he got it so wrong is at the time weather systems were weather modeling was a bit rudimentary and they'd have to take data from lots of different places to take data off ships and they also used to think that people uh, the 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 cats in the ship was not great at taking temperature data and pressure data and all those kind of things so they used to allow for the fact that they would get those wrongs in these models but they used to think they used to know where they were um, that they should be good at knowing where they were apparently however there was one ship in the Bay of Biscay that didn't know where it was and when it reported its data in it was 100 miles north of where it thought it was Um, that's amazing yeah and they plugged it in and that's why they got that prediction wrong because that ship was in the wrong place it's not Michael Fisher's fault then is it yeah. Poor old Michael <laughs> Fish. We don't want to get him on the babble. I wonder what he's doing now. He's not dead, is he? No, he's still going. Is he dead? Uh, he, he's probably got a collection of jumpers. Maybe that's what he does, sells his vintage jumpers online. That's extraordinary. So it's sort of like Captain Birdseye out in the Bay of Biscay has absolutely no idea where yeah. he is. And as a result yes. of that, a whole kind of couple of counties get battered by a not-quite-hurricane that they're told emphatically isn't coming. That's yeah, amazing. I mean, it, obviously, it would have come anyhow. I mean, it's not that the ship changes the course of the hurricane, but yeah, the forecast was completely wrong as a result of that. Superb. So, you, so how, so did, that how did that you... make you? Oh, me and Dave are weird. <laughs> Hang on, right? You, you, we're can, asking you, the same you thing, go, we're Dave. Asking you go, Dave. Oh, I'm allowed to go now, am I? Good. You're allowed to go. <laughs> the question I wrote. I'm allowed to have a go, am I? Good. <laughs> <laughs> so how did that? Ah, you say. <laughs> <laughs> so how did that end up being your eureka moment why why did that spectacular failure of michael fish's or captain Birdseye in the bay of biscay end up making you want to do climate stuff well i think i think it was partially i mean it, it, it had been at the time when people started talking about climate and climate change and its potential impact so it was it was kind of there was a relevance out there and then um it was probably one of the few times i actually understood my lecture which was also a bonus um and yeah just it just snapped that the climate is really fragile we are changing it 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 in Perhaps we should stop changing it and, well, maybe I should try and find a way to do something about that. Um, it did take me quite a while to actually do anything, however, off to that eureka moment. But, but it was, that was my eureka moment, definitely. It'll start getting cooler. 
I you wish just, you just watch. I wish science agreed with you. Hey, well, I don't think science knows actually. I thought I heard the captain say, "Pay me my money down tomorrow is our sailing day." So things are obviously very different now to when you you started out. Yeah. Um, it feels it feels like a lot is happening. A lot of a lot is happening very fast. Um, but and, and one of our listeners actually was asking a question about this sort of thing. Um, and this is Howard who. Uh, listens to loads of babble or slightly worried about how much babble he listens to but we love him um, and he, he he wanted to ask so how do you see the future of energy capture as in PV wind etc and storage developing over the next few years are we going to continue to depend on multi-country grid connections play the multi-country grid connections music Dave very good. Uh, or will we be using more home solar PV and battery storage and that sort of thing? So I predict that we'll be using all of it. Um, and that we should not sneer about multi-country connections because we can export as well as import. Um, and I think it's really important to have that interconnectability. God, did that, is that a right word? Anyway, it's a word. So um, like, just just to be clear I what also... you mean by that. That's like, because again, I struggle with this a bit. That the pipes bring us electricity from like Norway and Belgium and stuff like that and gas. And, and France. France, yeah. Yeah, oh, yes. oh, bloody yes. French. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and that's that scene as and being we, a... And we connect into... Ireland as well, remember. Right. So that's some people say that's bad because why? Because it means we aren't making enough ourselves or what? I think so. I mean, I think, I think, I mean, today we do import up to 20% of our electricity from, from mainland Europe. But as time, as we go into this green world that we're about to enter into, we're going to use more electricity and less gas. So, so that proportion is going to get smaller. Um, but we want, we want interconnectability because we want to be able to export and import from lots of different countries. Um, and when they've got too much, we can buy it. And when we've got too much, they can buy us. So it, I, I personally think it's a good thing. Um, but it, but a low level, my vision would be, and, and this might not be in the next two to three years, it might take a little longer, but I would love to see every house in the country being a power station. Uh, there's no reason why every home can't generate part of its power, if not all of it. Um, and whether that's having a solar panel on the roof and then a battery in the back garden, um, whether that's using it's an electric car to kind of power the house when people get home, having charged off on the way back. I, I, it's it's going to be a lot of these different things um, and they're going to all need to integrate together and they're all going to need to work really well. So the kind of vision of the Apple phone, if you think about it, was that it was ultimately simple. It was it was intuitive enough for a small child to use. And that's what our energy system is going to have to be, is it's going to have to be usable by a five-year-old. And then suddenly we will see this shift where our houses will automatically figure out that they've either got too much power or got too little, um, or the system needs to adjust a little bit and they'll just turn down a little bit. Um, and suddenly we'll have this interactive system. And there is absolutely no reason we can't do that. It's just we've never built it before. Um, so we need a vision and we need to sort of direct ourselves on that vision. And that, that, that I find really exciting. So... Theory for Bill Gates is that he's doing this, A, to depopulate an overcrowded planet. Um, but it doesn't stop there. It, it's also about injecting microchips into people. Okay. 
Do you think that there are a chunk of people for whom that sounds really scary, though? Yes. I mean, like well, people, when people it, think that your energy company is going to come spy on you and deflate your tires and stuff, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> they do. Like people think that that's that's why you know they they reckon that that's why you shouldn't have electric cars because like they can just turn people can turn it off. If you don't pay your bill or something. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> sorry, I interrupted your question. Right? To that. <laughs> well, no, no, I, mean, I didn't know that was a particular concern, but I, you know, I can sort of empathise with with people, particularly, I guess. This is a generalisation, but I guess older people for whom phrases like, you know, your house will automatically work out when you need electricity and when you don't and when you can export it. And when like that just sounds a bit like, I don't want my house to be working things out. I want my house to be a bunch of bricks and a roof and I'll turn the radiators on when I'm cold and I'll turn them off when I'm warm. And like... I can understand that, but it is also a barrier to doing the things that we need to do faster. So I guess my question is, what do we do about that? Like, what's what's the answer to people well, being freaked out about those things? So, so the first thing is, don't work with the people who get freaked out about it too early first. <laughs> so, so work with the people who get it and 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 normalize it with those people so i i don't think it's an age thing actually i i think it's some people are good at looking backwards and some people are good at looking forwards mm. um what you have to do and and this is this is why i think sometimes we try and solve the whole problem in one go sometimes when when i hear two people talk about the energy market they try and they treat it as if every consumer in the energy market is the same and it's not true we are all different and we have different capacities for thinking about new new things. Some of us some of us like new things, some of us don't like new things. And what we need to do is to work with the people who are prepared to look forward and, and excited about this change and want to experiment with this change. Those are your kind of super early adopters. And then you move into the people who who want to t- take this up, but they're quite demanding. So you then have to get the technology right. Um, but once it gets through that stage, then, then it just becomes normal and then everybody else is fine with it. So, so that's why I think you don't try and create a mass market immediately with this. You take people on a journey. Um, we don't need to change everybody overnight to being having a home as a power station. However, let's start with the people who are up for it. Um, work with them as the early adopters and the early stages <clears throat> and then push it through as it becomes a normalised technology. And I... I that that's what most things i mean early mobile phones bricks i mean and and most normal people would never have had one it was only the nutters who had those stupid things that used used to to carry around with a big with like a with a power pack in a rucksack and an aerial that was two feet above their head yeah Exactly. I mean, but they were the people who who helped evolve the technology, so it got to a point where we were all happy with it. And that's that's what we should. That's what that's the way we work in this marketplace. And I mean, we're now at a point where the technology's costs have come down to such a point that if you put a solar panel on your roof, it's cheaper than buying power off the grid. So why wouldn't you do it? Um, and and so you start to get to those tipping points where this technology becomes normalised and it becomes easier to use than not. Um, and at that point, that's when you start to see mass adoption. I've just managed to get my dad onto WhatsApp this last weekend, so I reckon I can <gasps> persuade him to... No! Yes, yes. <laughs> he loves it. 
tell me, or not for now, but you've got to tell me how you did that. Because like, I, I cannot, <laughs> I cannot abide my parents just insisting on emailing everything. Like, it's kind of fine, but like, <laughs> oh, I'd love to get them on WhatsApp. You see, my, my dad is one of the forward lookers. That's why I say it's not to do with age. It's to do with attitude. Um, and uh, how old is he? I think he's just been 81. And, um, and he's, always, he's always been the bloody first to have everything. But that's just because of his attitude. That's how he's always been. I wanted to ask you about a thing that I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not sure whether or not when I heard about this, I thought that's a bit of a gimmick. So I wanted to ask you about it. And I'm pretty sure you'll say it isn't a gimmick. I've heard you've set up a youth board. So you have decided Uh. to let infants run good energy or something um, because you have quotes heard enough from adults right and I looked at it and I thought I, I saw the press release and I thought oh that's a, that's a thing and she's going to do something like it's going to be you know come have a crash and just see you know see who paints the nicest picture but you know you're actually doing this you're serious you're gonna you're setting up a, a, a yeah. board for good energy that's, 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 what, what is it are you sure I don't think it's a good idea <laughs> So, so one of the things we devised probably about 15 years ago um, to, uh, was we tried to think about Good Energy's purpose as a business and who we were and who we represented and what we were doing. And one of the things we thought about was, OK, so we want to think about our customers. We want to think about our staff and we want to think about our shareholders. And um, quite often, as we ran the business, we were always balancing those three stakeholders in terms of how we run the business and what we do. But if you are a purposeful business and you are thinking about the future, which is what we've always done, we were set up to try and change the future. You actually need a fourth stakeholder and we called them a slightly clumsily uh, future holders. Instead, instead, stakeholder, future holders. Yeah. Um, and, and the concept is that, that these are people who don't necessarily exist or can't influence you today, but you need to be thinking about for tomorrow. And essentially, that is kind of your next generation. And in fact, um, <clears throat> when Wales set their... Um, oh, God, is it, is it called the Next yeah, Generations future, future Act? Future Generations is, Act, yeah. Future Generations Act, which is a piece of genius in my view, is that when they procure things today, they have to think about the impact on the next generation. And I think that that is absolutely genius. So <clears throat> it's not it's not a gimmick. To be honest, somebody else came up with the idea, but I loved it because it kind of embodied what we've been trying to do for a very long time. And the idea is that we take kids from year seven to year 13, I think it is, um, and... We encourage them to, we, I mean, what, I, what I'd really like to do is I'm hoping we're going to be able to, to give them some um, training and capability, particularly around comms, so they get to learn how to speak, they learn how to talk about their views and, and encourage people to do that. But what we do is we want to hear from them about what's going to impact the next generation, what should we be thinking about, how should that affect our business? Dad, I think I need some fresh air. Can I go to the park? Do I have to sit up? No. I I have a stepdaughter who's now 18, but sort of two years ago, two or three years ago, during all the different bits around Brexit and government and everything else, she was furious that she couldn't vote because what she felt is that people were voting on her future and she wasn't allowed to be in there. And I think this is part of saying 
our future is going to change very fast in the next 20, 30 years. And if we don't listen to the people, what we tend to do is we kept we keep saying we're going to give it to the next generation to fix. Well, we better we better well get them involved now if we're going to do that and give them the tools to help us fix it, because otherwise we've just passed a ball that they'll never be able to catch. Terribly sorry about the planet, but um, best of luck. Yeah, exactly. And in fact, I mean, I I I came across, I came across this woman. It was extraordinary. I was I was at a lunch where there was there was a an oil uh, head of a very large oil company and his wife, and his wife turned around to, to somebody else's kids and said, "Yeah, we're g- we're going to have to pass you the buck to sort out the planet." <sighs> I went seriously. Oh, That's outrageous! My God. It was. Absolutely outrageous. I've lived my lovely life with lots of money. I've f***ed up the planet for you. And there you go, off you go. I was just like, outrageous. So I think we should be giving them a a helping hand to get all the tools they need as quickly as possible to go out there and change the world. And that's part of what this is about. An unmanned SpaceX rocket exploded during a return landing attempt on Wednesday. The prototype Starship had only been launched minutes before... So, yeah, right. Now tell me a bugger off if you don't like this question. But I was, as I was researching yeah, uh, some questions to talk to you, I also had it on the background. Thanks to the uh, Sustaining Babbles resident science expert, Big Dave, he sent me a very excited text message when I was trying to concentrate on preparing for Juliet Davenport. And the text message said, look at this, it's Elon Musk's rocket, right? And I put, <laughs> opened this video and a thing that, let's face it, was a, uh, shaped exactly like a penis was about to go up into the sky and flop down again. Um, and this was on the day that it didn't do that and I watched it and then I watched it again last night it did go up in the sky and then it blew up when it hit the ground but it still sounds very good and exciting and this is about like taking humans to Mars that's what this bloke wants to do right yeah. and you know space and physics and stuff uh, certainly a lot more than us and I just I thought I want to know what Juliet thinks of this like the amount of money and time that is being spent to go to space you know by a bloke who's also spending a lot of time and money on electric cars and stuff but you as a human who must get excited by that stuff because you did physics does it excite you or do you think as i think all does that it's a massive waste of time and effort so so yes it's exciting i think anything that's challenging and finding out and experimenting and finding new things is exciting but do i think it's a reality i mean the reality of trying to move a significant portion of our population to another planet is just a no no go at the moment and and the only reality is i mean the people that's really exciting for is all those people who can afford to potentially think that they might be able to get on that rocket and go because that's going to be about mm, maybe 30 people and do i want to spend life on mars with 30 elon musks i think probably not (laughs) so in in that sense it really doesn't excite me um because they're all nutters um but (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I can't remember. What did he call his most recent child? Oh, a, uh, a, a number, uh, wasn't it? I mean, it's just X, the letter X. Um, and then the A-E is, like, pronounced Ash. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then uh, A-12, A-12 is my contribution. Oh, why A-12? Uh, Archangel 12, the precursor to the SR-71 coolest plane oh, ever. <laughs> Crikey, Moses. Yeah, I don't really want to be on a rocket on Mars with that, personally. But, but it, I mean, I, 
the, the whole point is there is we have a home here and if we spend our life trying to think about how to get somewhere else which i mean frankly mars is not very nice it has um it has no atmosphere basically details details (laughs) it has no magnetic core so we have a fantastic magman magnetic core to our planet which means that we've got magnetic field around our planet which protects us from the sun because the sun sends out all these um sort of uh basically it's what we see when you see the northern lights so there's all this radiation and the, the this magnetic field protects us now mars this magnetic field doesn't exist so it's basically had its atmosphere stripped away from from by the sun for years and years on end so it's a kind of dead planet why would we want to go and live there in the face of overwhelming odds, I'm left with only one option. I'm going to have to science the shit out of this. I'm just wondering whether I can be bothered to defend myself against that outrageous accusation that uh, I Which don't one? like space. But um, You don't like space? You said you've never seen Star Trek. <laughs> uh, well, that's, that is basically true. Although, right. well, I... Uh, so my, I have a, uh, a, f- a four-year-old and they are currently getting mad into space, um, like books about space. They want to watch all the videos. Yeah. And I don't know. It's, it's, there's something about the mindset of it which is exciting. That, and it's, it is a mindset which we're going to need as we address the escalating catastrophe on, on this planet. Like that kind of extraordinarily... Yeah expansive what what bigger better thing can we do like you know what more ambitious thing can we do and i feel like you know that that is a thing which particularly in the environment movement to be honest is sometimes pretty lacking so while i don't necessarily well, I think thought, we should all move <laughs> we should all well, move we want to Mars, better cycle lanes when do we want them yeah. <laughs> 20 years from now what do we want slightly less energy consumed than before yes when um <laughs> well before i finish my lentils but it's I don't know. I, that's why it excites me because it's it's a kind of it's an expression of what humanity can achieve, um, yeah. and and the the energy and the excitement that people can bring to it. Um, even though I don't, I don't think necessarily going to Mars is well, I think I think it's a terrible idea for all the reasons you explained. But there you go. So that's my that's my sort of defence. Yeah, I mean, it's, I I find it fascinating because the thought of sitting on a. On a in a very small spacecraft with which hasn't got that much light in a, in in a sort of in outer space for years and years and years just doesn't really appeal. Um, you haven't been to one of those parties. And a, and <laughs> so so I just I kind of I kind of really like being here. Um, and yeah, if there was another fantastic planet that we could go to that was similar to this, that would be amazing. But um, it would take quite a long time to get there. <laughs> right, that is just about it for another episode of The Babble. Thank you very much, Juliet, for being real and keeping it real and being really on time, unlike me. Uh, and just for being excellent bands, uh, thank you to Dave for all of those things as well. You're excellent bands and you're mostly real. And 
Thank you, as ever, to the extremely real Dickie Moore, who makes really good music at Bearcraft. Go and check him out. And he also does the music at the beginning and the end of this podcast. Thank you to the really real uh, Arthur Stovall, who really did make our logo, which is on our T-shirts, that you can buy in a very real way on our website, which is www.sustainababble.fish, and just find the T-shirty bit. You can still get them in time for Christmas. Do it. We have you done the bit about saying thank you? Uh, how to people to contact us? <sighs> this have you is done getting that bit? beyond. This is getting beyond a joke. Okay, I'm not actually I'm genuinely, genuinely not listening to you anymore. I know you're not, but you right. should be. Okay. Have you? No, done I haven't done the Patreon bit. <laughs> okay. I haven't done what the about- how you can get in touch bit. Right. You can get in touch with us, and you can let us know what you thought of the show. All you had to do was anyway. Just do, can you just do it next time so I don't have to do it? You can get in touch with us and tell us what you thought of the show. We are on the Facebook at Sustainababble. You can email us to hello at sustainababble.fish or you can find us on the Twitter at the Babble Wagon. And thank you so much to those who chip in on our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash sustainababble, helping with the costs of this here podcast. Uh, we are listener supported. We greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate and need your support thank you so much that's is that you or the internet (laughs) that's me i genuinely my mouth stopped working then what was i saying you were being grateful about people giving us money saying we need your support it was very nice thanks mouth went weird it's like my brain stopped me saying the nice thing yeah (laughs) oh god yeah oh god i think he's being sincere (laughs) quick just Chop some neurons. It's just what happened. I think that's a, probably a good uh, a good cue to leave, don't you? Yeah, I think so. Bye. Bye. <laughs>